Recently, the calendar turned over. Flipped through the pages, only to begin again. It allows us to continue to perceive time as a steadily moving force, carrying us forward on its wings until we reach the destination that has been plotted out for us. And yet, every 12 months, we find ourselves back at the beginning, entering into another loop that, while it will carry modifications, will also carry more than its fair share of repeats. These repeated moments will comfort us at times, disturb us at others, and always call to us from somewhere ahead on time's path. I'm calling from Elm Lake. There's something about the visit from Jenny Fowler that isn't sitting quite right with me. She seemed so sure of herself, as though she'd struck nearer to the truth than even she had expected. I struck out after our conversation, ostensibly to find George Mooney and Lorraine Powell, but mostly to clear my head. It felt full swimming through a haze I didn't even realize had been there previously. Walking through the streets of Elm Lake with the cold and distant moon shining down on me, I let my mind wander over everything that has happened since Jenny returned to town. There's something about this young woman. She's more than just a woman, truly. She's more like a force of nature some sort of fae creature who has been sent here to Elm Lake to stir up trouble and then resolve it in her own mysterious way. She is immutable and yet forever changing. She is perplexing and yet there is something about her that is begging to be understood. She's both of Elm Lake and also completely separate from the rest of us. I still remember when she disappeared as a child, and now she's back, having aged impossibly fast in the short span of years that she's been absent. While only 20, she carries herself as someone wiser than the other residents of town. And that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of her obsession with places that don't exist, her desire to wander town with a basket slowly being filled, or her natural inclination to wander the streets largely after the sun has set. If I didn't know better, I would think there is something nefarious going on with her.
Maybe there is, now that I actually put the words to it. Maybe Jenny is not a woman, but a creature. Sent here specifically to torment me. Why else is there this perceived connection, but a complete inability to actually understand what she's trying to tell me? After all, as cryptic as I find her, there must be a reason why I'm drawn to her words and why she keeps returning to places where I'm almost guaranteed to encounter her. Sure, she seems kind and helpful and just as concerned with the random signal that is still repeating over our airwaves as I am. But maybe that's all just a front. Couldn't it be possible that she's simply trying to get into my good graces? To get me to drop my guard and to spring some long hidden trap on my mind, leaving me to suffer as the last vestiges of sanity slip away from me. If that's true though, then why is there such comfort when I do see her, even as unbalanced as she makes me? Why do I hope to see the answers behind her eyes? Why do I crane my neck to hear her words when they are directed my way? Could such a warm facade be hiding a deeper, more disturbing reality? No. Jenny is on the side of the angels. I speak metaphorically, of course. Elm Lake has no angels. No true demons, either. We have Marcus Grant, currently telling anyone he can about his breakfast sandwich experience. We have Angus Thorpe, often working his fields, trying to make sure that we are provided for. We have George and Lorraine busily keeping the town's buildings in excellent shape. And when they have the opportunity, scavenging materials from places no longer needed. And we have Jenny Fowler, who somehow floats above it all. Bill and Rebecca have been so happy since she returned. I've asked them both if there is something strange about Jenny, and they simply respond with questions of their own. Namely, why I would be taking such an interest in their daughter. She was simply away at school, and that's why we hadn't seen her in Elm Lake for so long. If I question them on the years and how they seem mathematically impossible, they point out that math was never my strong suit and that Jenny herself was always an advanced learner, speaking in full sentences before the end of her third month. I've tried to explain to them how incredibly rare that in and of itself would be. And they simply smile, reminding me that I've never been a parent myself. I wouldn't understand.
He doesn't understand. I know he's trying, but he just can't. Not unless he's able to make his way to the nest somehow. But he doesn't seem to live in that when. I know I don't often enough. But I'm also starting to see some patterns, and maybe some ways to flip the switches to my advantage. Can I get to the correct when that I need to? I've talked to George and Lorraine. There's something about the words I said to Anthony, deep down, that resonate. Most of the time, Lorraine doesn't want to talk to me. She makes pleasant excuses and leaves the room while I continue talking to George. And for the first three attempts to get to the bottom of this, that was the response I was met with. George knew nothing about what I was saying, and any time I mentioned anything outside of town, he referenced the cabin. Cabin this, cabin that. And yet, I know somehow that the cabin is wrong. I was about to give up on this thread, but something made me tug at it a little more strongly. It teased me. So I pulled. At the end of it, I found myself in a different when. I didn't recognize it, and the people didn't seem to recognize me. Except for Anthony, but I think he's the same in every when, even if he can't figure it out. I asked about George and Lorraine, and was pointed to a pool hall, the dark and stormy. It felt off somehow, but I walked in and pulled up a seat at the bar, prepared to begin my recently standard line of questioning. Lorraine, with a dark smile, stopped me and asked if I was here about the bunker. I had delayed long enough. I needed to speak with George Mooney and Lorraine Powell. There is something about them, or at least about George, that seems to draw a kinship with Jenny. It doesn't appear to my observations similar to the kinship she shares with her parents, but it is there nonetheless. Maybe it's the close proximity in age, impossible as it may be. Maybe it's the fact that all three technically work with their hands. Maybe it's just the kind eyes that George looks at Jenny with, and the crisp brusqueness that Lorraine displays. But there's definitely a comfort there. So I did it. I made my way to their shared house and knocked on the door. After what felt like an eternity, Lorraine let me in and prepared a kettle for tea. George wasn't home yet, she explained, but she was more than willing to have a chat with me about whatever was troubling me. After all, she's been listening to the broadcasts, and she has her own questions about Jenny, 
Lorraine said she does wish that we get Jenny on the air at some point. I told her that I was fairly certain she had been heard. But Lorraine looked at me like I'd lost my mind. We then engaged in some small talk about the recent snowfall and what we thought might happen during the next moon festival. In the middle of that conversation, George returned home, warmed himself with a cup of tea of his own, and flopped heavily into the nearby chair. His demeanor, which started out exhausted, changed markedly when I mentioned Jenny's name. Lorraine excused herself and George became animated. I could barely hear what he was saying, the words falling from his mouth in an almost visible stream. Finally, he composed himself, took a deep breath, and looked me square in the eyes. He then asked if this was all about the bunker. Bunker? You mean cabin, don't you, George? I tried to correct him. He insisted it was a bunker, and that the cabin was something created to paste over that piece of the truth from our memories. What followed was a conversation I can still barely follow, despite taking all of the notes I possibly could on it. There were disconnected tangents, hopes of a bowling alley, and other hopes of a diner. George almost seemed to flicker between these disparate thoughts, but the bunker remained consistent. Finally, his words wound down, and with them, his energy seemed to fade. Lorraine returned and excused the both of them, gently ushering me on my way. So I came back to my studio. I'm staring at these notes, trying to make heads or tails of them. I haven't had a lot of luck. On my way, I dropped a note in the Fowler mailbox, hoping that Jenny would receive it and come to meet with me. I need to hear her perspective. I need to know if George has gone insane or if there's more to it. I don't know why, but I'm positive that Jenny has these answers too. Until then, I will be waiting. Elm Lake is waiting. from Elm Lake, episode 13, When, was written and produced by Sean Monahan. The voice of Elm Lake is Sean Monahan. The voice of Jenny Fowler is Emma Sala. Opening and closing themes written and performed by Sean Monahan. 
all other music written and performed by Matt McInnes. Find out more at machinismusic.com. You can find us on both Twitter and Facebook for little social media strangeness. You can also find us on TikTok as we create visuals to help round out the world of Elm Lake. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on whichever podcasting app you have found our feed. Doing so could help bring new listeners to the call of Elm Lake. If you'd like to support us as we unfold this story, add new voices, or just generally continue to explore this particular creative process, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash calling from Elm Lake. Your support will help us continue to grow and expand on the story and hopefully be able to add even more content within the universe of Elm Lake. Find your when. It will lead you to other wares. And along the way, you may discover both whys and hows. Hows.